0: Chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, Paul writes For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way. Thereby you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things... Their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, That you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That I may come to you with joy by the will of God. And that you may be refreshed together with you. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. In the previous passage, Paul offered a peek into his minister's heart. Now, Paul provides a description of the ministry of God's messenger. Paul has made a convincing case that we are ministers, servants of Jesus. Ministers and servants of hope. Remember verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for your learning that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Again in verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our message is the message of the gospel. But it's also a message of hope we are to faithfully fulfill the divine calling, which is to present Christ to a watching world. The messenger may be a professional preacher, or a gifted teacher, or a witnessing believer, but the principles that Paul provides applies to each and every one of us, to every single Christian In this passage, Paul will point out five things to help us. Now, I know that some of you don't like homework of any kind. But a good teacher always provides a little homework. And that's exactly what Paul is. He's a good teacher. The teacher can provide homework, but that doesn't mean the student is always going to be faithful. But in this passage, he's going to give us Five things to help us with our homework and ministry. Number one, we are to do a complete job where we are. And so he'll speak about providence in verses 22 and 23. We're to develop a vision for the whole world. So that's going to mean a little planning in verse 24. We're not to neglect the immediate needs as we make global plans. So he's going to help us set our priorities in verses 25 through 27. We delight to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's purpose in verses 28 and 29. We determine to seek for ourselves prayer. And then we are willing to pray for others in verses 30 through 33. And so let's do our homework. Paul says, do a complete job where you are in verses 22 and 23, read with me. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. That's the Romans. But now, no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Look at that expression. I also have been much Hindered from coming to you. The word hindered is very interesting. It means to cut out. Or to cut into. Paul, remember, wrote the book of Romans from Corinth. When Paul is writing these words, he is in Corinth ministering to the Corinthians. Paul says... But no longer having a place in these parts. In what sense? God has used providence to keep Paul moving in the direction that God has for Paul. This chapter in Paul's life is drawing to a close. And for some of you, it's a new chapter in your life. You're going from one job to another. You're going from one place to another. One chapter has opened and unfolded and closed. And now another chapter begins. The chapter in Paul's life in Corinth is is drawing to a close. His job is finished. The task is complete. And Paul has done a thorough job. Paul sets the example of staying where he is and completing the job that God has assigned for him to finish despite the enormity of his task and the difficulties that he had to bear. Paul does what God is telling him to do. Paul stays where he was until the job is done despite his desire to move on. His task is completed. Now I want you to remember the context of the passage. In verse 20, Paul said, and so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel where Jesus has never been named. Remember that Paul has this burning desire inside of his heart to go to those places where they've never heard that there's a Savior, where they've never heard that there's hope and forgiveness, that there's a new life and and, and a new direction. And so... Those who desire to go where no one has gone before will sometimes find themselves in a place of delay, in a place of hardship, in a place of setback. You may be one of those people where you go, I want to go to this particular place. I've talked with so many people and prayed with so many people who God has unfolded a vision in their heart for Thailand. God has unfolded a vision in their heart for Afghanistan. God has unfolded a vision in their heart for Spain or for Turkey or for places all over the world. They are here, but they see themselves there. And you may be in that place. Paul, where do you want to go? Paul says, look, I'm going to evaluate God's will not in light of simply my plans, but his plans. And so hindrance, delay will sometimes take place. God doesn't always operate according to our wishes and our desires. Paul evaluates God's will not in light of his plans, but God's purposes in his life. By the way, is that what you do? Do you evaluate your plans in light of God's plan? We will sometimes say, Lord, where do you want me to go? Paul would rather say, Lord, send me to the place where you want me to go. Paul's input is, Lord, wherever you send me, just make sure it's someplace where no one has ever heard of you, where no one has heard the gospel story, so that I can present the Savior. It was David Livingston who was asked by the London Missionary Society where he would like to serve Christ in the field, and he replied, anywhere, so long as it's forward. Livingston said, I'm willing to go anywhere. Anywhere just so it's a step in the right direction. You have to have a vision and a goal before you can have a work. And so we take our disappointments and we turn them into appointments with destiny. Look again at that passage. Paul says, I have no place here. No place to go could be the very stepping stone to places and people that God has ordained for you so that you can serve and teach and minister, encourage, fulfill your gift. I want you to pause for just a moment and I want you to ask some questions that I asked of the the text. Do you suppose everyone in Corinth was saved? I doubt it. Do you suppose all the saints in Corinth were mature and perfected? I doubt it. Was there more work that could be done in Corinth? I'm sure that there was. I'm sure that there was so much more work that could be done in Corinth. But not by Paul. Not by Paul. Sometimes God will urge the soul to move on. And Paul, to his credit, had fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in verse 19. And I'm convicted by Paul's example. You see, sometimes we need to stay when every molecule in our body says, I want to go. And sometimes we need to go when every molecule in our body says that we should stay. You know, I remember my own life and my own circumstances. It's been many years now. But shortly after Columbine, it was very difficult for me to stay here. You see, in order to get to work, I had to drive down Pierce Avenue, and almost every single day, I would drive by Columbine High School, and the images at Columbine would would creep into my mind, the images and circumstances that happened there at at, at that school, and my heart would begin to break, and, and difficulties would arise in my heart, and I thought, maybe it's time for me to go. Maybe it's time for me to go, but it wasn't time for me to go, it was time for me to stay. How do you know when it's time to go, and how do you know when it's time to stay? Paul's leaving has nothing to do with fear. It also has nothing to do with insecurity. It also has nothing to do with whether or not there are certain things that still could be accomplished. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, Paul writes, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And I don't mean in the medical marijuana sense of the word. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils from my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in castings often, in cold and nakedness besides the other. Other things which come upon me daily. My concern for the churches. There's a whole lot that Paul has done. And there's a whole lot yet to be done. And so Paul says develop a vision for the whole world. Again remember he's already talked about that. And he's going to reiterate it in verse 24. Whenever I journey to Spain I shall come to you. That means the Romans on his way. For I hope to see you in my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. For the Roman, Spain and Britain were the edge of the world. If you live in Colorado and you're headed east, Before you get to Nebraska, you come to the edge of the world of Colorado. Lyman. Paul could be saying something like this. On my way to the edge of the universe, I'd like to stop by and see you. The great cultural and historical scholar William Barclay suggests that Paul's reason for going to Spain again is to share Christ with the people in the Iberian Peninsula. By the way, we also know that Spain was the place where some of the greatest minds of the first century were occupying Lucan, Marshall, Quintilian, Nero's tutor, Seneca, who trained out of all of the people in the Roman world that the aristocracy of Rome could call in order to tutor Nero was from Spain. The future emperor Trajan was born in Spain in 53 AD. In other words, when Paul is writing these words, the future emperor Trajan is three years old. Spain was in many respects the future. Perhaps Paul simply had a vision of the multitudes of people who had never heard about the Lord Jesus Christ, but his great dream, Paul's great dream, was to go to Spain. Here's my question for you. Did he ever make it? Did he ever get there? By the way, there's no clue that's given to us in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us if he ever made it there, but church history seems to suggest that Paul somehow managed to make the journey, that he stopped briefly in Rome on his way to Spain, that he preaches the gospel and he makes a return trip, perhaps like David's dream to build the temple, he never saw his dream come true. The value of a dream or a vision is the goal that's placed inside of the human heart to accomplish great things for God. David never placed a single stone in the temple, but he was able to purchase the foundation and pass the work on to his son Solomon. Paul may or may not have made it to Spain, but he placed in the hearts of Christians for centuries The seed of desire watered by the word of God, enabled by the spirit of God. He expresses his dream. Love for Jesus and concern for the lost provided the twin pillars of evangelism. Love and concern become the motives for world evangelism. And so the Lord seems equally concerned with the journey as well as the destination. But it should cause each and every one of us to pause for just a moment and ask ourselves the question, where are you going? For some of you, much of your life has already passed by. And for some of you, the vast majority of your life is still in front of you. Where are you going? How do you plan to get there? You see, the journey provides character and growth and maturation and understanding. Where am I going? Where are we going? You know, as I was thinking about this passage and that question, I said to myself, I don't know where you're going, but I'm going to heaven. That's where I'm going. I'm eventually going to be there. I have an eternal dwelling place. Go ahead and long for the castles and the tall spires of Spain. There clearly is a work of God yet to be done. There's a work of God yet to be done here. I would like to think that the front range is saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But guess what? It isn't true. And the evidence is your neighbors and your family. I want you to think not just of one person or even two people. You can think right at this very moment of five people, ten people, twenty people. They don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great work to be done. And at the end of the journey and the work, there's a great God to be met. Paul is filled with a deep desire to reach every man and every woman with the gospel of Jesus That means he has a global vision. Remember, he takes seriously Jesus' words in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, Paul writes, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. In other words, Paul says, I get up in the morning and I pray for a divine encounter with, for someone For someone whose heart is broken and their life is empty. And they're desperate for help. Paul had a strong expectation to have the help and fellowship and support of other believers in his attempt to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. When Paul visited the Roman church, he expected to be filled with their company and fellowship and help. Read it again. And to be helped on my way, it says in verse 24, sent on my way. I believe that that's code for Paul. In part, I think it means to experience fellowship. I think it means to experience financial support in his mission to Spain. And in verse 25, he says, do not neglect the immediate needs as you make worldwide preparations. In what sense? Look at verse 25 and 26 and 27. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia, Greece. Achaia, the southern tip of Greece, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem, it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, that means the spiritual things that originated in Jerusalem among the Jewish believers, the gospel itself, the message of hope, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the worldwide evangelism that would unfold, it pleased them, indeed and they are their debtors for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things their duty is also to minister to them in material things Paul says it seems like a fair exchange in verse 25 Paul's long term vision I want to go to Spain well I've never been to Spain but I've been to Oklahoma (laughs) no I'm just kidding Paul's long-term vision is to go to Spain. His short-term vision is to meet the needs of the saints in Jerusalem, in the here and the now. Paul understands that in order to help with the saints in Jerusalem who were in deep trouble, who were experiencing overwhelming hardship, he had a duty. He took up offerings in Corinth and Philippi. And Achaia and Berea, generous Christians opened up their hearts and their wallets and gave a generous amount as Paul is going to make his way back to Jerusalem. And by the way, as you dream dreams and as you think about the future, Paul is encouraging each and every one of us to not neglect the present. We might think of it this way. Do not neglect the immediate needs of the saints in the here and the now. Paul's plan was to take up the offering that he is is in the process of getting and will get in and that in that he's going to take to Jerusalem. Let me put it to you a little bit differently. Before Paul books his flight to Spain, he's taken up an offering and he's made a provision for the saints in Jerusalem. There's pressing needs. Those pressing needs need to be fulfilled. And as much as Paul wanted to preach the gospel in Rome, and he wanted to preach the gospel in in Spain, the saints in Jerusalem and Judea were in dire straits. Many had lost their jobs. Some were starving. Some were homeless. And we can't ignore ministry in the present in order to do ministry in the future. Paul isn't saying... Stop thinking about the future. He's saying, don't neglect the present while you're thinking about the future. We know this is true in Acts chapter 24, verse 17. Paul Paul is recorded as saying by Dr. Luke, Now after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. This collection that he's taking up, the journey that it took, in order to get there, took place over a period of time. Not just months, probably years, but for years, for years, for years, he had a sight set on the end of the world. Often godly plans are placed on hold until just the right moment. Maybe you have a godly plan, and there's been a little delay an unwelcome obstacle. The good news? Jesus is never late. Jesus is rarely early. (laughs) Look at verse 26 again. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem He says they were happy to do it. They were happy to help in the near, here in the now. He announced his goal to go to Jerusalem to refresh the saints. There's an unfinished task at home for Paul. And since the Gentiles were willing to help. And the Jewish believers were in such desperate circumstances. In spite of generations of prejudice. In spite of language differences. In spite of cultural differences. The saints unite in a common cause. And they say, hey, you know what? They're our brothers and our sisters. We love them and we're going to help them. Again, in verse 27, it pleased them indeed and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. I want you to note the context. Since Gentiles were participants in the ministry of the saints in Jerusalem, it was appropriate for the Gentiles to help the Jewish believers. After all, they were the benefactors of the ministry begun in Jerusalem. The Gentiles could provide a physical support for the spiritual support that had been lavishly given by Jerusalem. It's interesting to me. The dollar that we take to the grocery store seems so small when you try and make it buy groceries. But have you noticed how big the dollar looks in the agape box? I could use that dollar. That it's such a huge amount of money. Isn't it funny that when we keep our money it shrinks? And when we give our money to the Lord, it grows. How is that even possible? The money we keep shrinks. The money we give grows. But Paul cares deeply about the people in need. He also believes that the saints unite together to provide help. And again, he takes up the special offering. He gives it to the churches in Judea and Jerusalem. And he feels strongly about Christians helping each other in times of need. And we should always be open to helping legitimate needs of the local saints as we do different projects around the community, around the state, around the world. Paul says, I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Are you a believer? Then you should consider the ministry to other believers. Here. And there. And so Paul says delight to serve in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in verses 28 and 29 he says therefore when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit I shall go by way of you to Spain. In other words, here's his plan in his mind. I'm going to take the offering that I've taken in Macedonia and Achaia. I'm going to make my way back to Jerusalem. I'm going to drop off the much-needed supplies to the desperate saints in Jerusalem. And then I'm going to come back this way. I'm going to go to Rome as I make my way to Spain. That's his plan. Paul keeps his worldwide vision in spite of the pressing needs. In spite of his intention to evangelize Rome and Spain. He's not going to let the desperate plight of the present circumstances dim his vision. He's filled with optimism about the future. And by the way, when Paul wrote these words, the words that you have read this morning. He's writing these words through what's called an amanuensis. That's a, a secretary. The secretary's name is Tertius. That means number three. In the ancient world, they wouldn't always name their children. Sometimes they would say, your primus. That means one. Segundus. That means you're two. (laughs) Tertiary. That means you're number three. That's their name. I'm going to call you number one. I'm going to call you number two. I'm going to call you number three. Paul is making these statements. Tertius is writing them down. Paul believes... That that's the way the future's going to unfold. For those of you who are familiar with the book of Acts and the New Testament. It doesn't work out that way. Paul goes back to Jerusalem. He gives the much needed support to Calvary Chapel in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. And a riot breaks out. When the riot breaks out, he's arrested. As he's arrested... He is taken prisoner. Religious leaders vow a vow that they won't eat or sleep until Paul is dead. I suspect most of them died because Paul managed to escape. He's taken to Caesarea where he's held prisoner for two years. Finally, he appeals to Caesar and he is given an all-expense-paid trip, courtesy of the Roman government. Into Rome. He's going to go to Rome. He's going to face Nero. All of this is a part of Paul's future. We don't have the benefit of knowing our future, do we? We can make a plan for tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. And things may go exactly like you planned. Or something surprising might happen. But whether things go like you plan or whether something surprising happens, God is in control. Thousands of years later, Paul continues to speak and he continues to preach. The very fact that we're opening this book and reading this letter is proof. And perhaps like Paul, you may worry that you're going to stand before God and have to apologize for a broken dream or a failed ministry or a ministry goal or an unkept promise. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God can take our broken dreams and failed plans and we can give them to Jesus and he can still use us? Because even if our life doesn't turn out exactly the way we had hoped, We have this wonderful privilege that if we love him now and we give him our life now and we give him our service now, imperfect, scarred, faulty, unfinished, out of order, God can redeem it. Listen, is it okay to plan? Yes. Is it okay to even have expectations? I think it is. But in the end, there's only one voice that you want to hear. And that's the voice that says from a golden throne, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. And look at verse 29. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is that important to you and me? Because Paul serves the gospel. Is his primary goal to provide social services? That's not his primary goal. His primary goal is to serve the gospel and the Jesus that the gospel represents. You see, a lot of people can provide social services But Paul's loyalty is to Jesus and to the gospel because there's no other message that can meet the desperate need of lost human beings and ruined lives and broken people. There's no amount of social services that can make your sin go away, that can mend your broken heart, that can make the darkness flee, and that can promise you a place in heaven forever. The gospel brings life. And the gospel is like a bouquet of flowers. Beautiful, fragrant, colorful, gracious in its source, personal in its message, saving in its work, powerful in its might, practical in its work, glorious in its consummation. There's power in the gospel. And that's why Paul preached. But we need God's power to preach it. The gospel is the good news of God's love in providing a savior. He dies for our sin. He rises for our justification. His grace saves. His blood cleanses. His power keeps us. His Holy Spirit qualifies us and sanctifies us and gladdens us and gives us peace. Paul has already told the Romans, remember at the very opening chapter, in the first few verses, in chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I'm a debtor to the Greek and to the barbarian, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And so finally, determined to seek prayer for yourself and pray for others. Look what it says in verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints and that I may come to you with joy in the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all amen in verse 30 he has a heart for prayer paul strives this is an idiomatic expression which means to push or to shove to enter into the fellowship of the love of jesus and the unity of the spirit the bottom line that paul is making is he's saying pray for me pray for me and i'll pray for you and to some it's just a cliche they'll say hey praying for you, but to Paul, it's the source of power, and it's the source of strength. He's begging for prayer, and I want you to note this. Paul doesn't beg for money, but he does beg for prayer. Don't you think that's interesting? Paul begs for prayer, and he doesn't seem to be ashamed to do so. He begs for prayer, not simply for himself but so that he can fulfill the ministry of Christ. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, when you invite a person to pray for you, remember that part of the point of the prayer must always include the addendum, pray for me so that I can fulfill the ministry of Christ in my life. Not just simply that you can fulfill your dreams and your hopes and your goals and your aspirations, he prays for deliverance from the unceasing ridicule, from the constant mocking, from, for the consistent rejection, the persistent abuse, the constant threat, the ongoing persecution. In verse 31, he says that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. What's his prayer content? What is he actually requesting? He says that I may be delivered, by the way, that beginning word, that, it's the Greek word, henna. That is a word in the Greek language which means the purpose or a word of purpose. It's used three times. Deliverance, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe. Acceptance that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, refreshing, that I may come to you with joy, that I may be delivered from them, that my service which I have for Jerusalem, that I may come to you with joy. These are very, very specifics, that he may be rescued, delivered from the unbelievers. Who is that? The religious Jews who have rejected God, and rejected Christ, and rejected the gospel. By the way, this answered prayer, is recorded in Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 20. And then again, in Acts chapter 22, in Acts chapter 23, it tells the whole exciting story of the answer to this specific prayer. The book of Acts records the miracles of deliverance and the escape that Paul experiences from the hands of his enemies. But Paul's enemies are really the enemies of God and the gospel. And part of the point of this passage is that you should be shocked that so many people reject the message of salvation. How many times have you had a conversation with someone? Wouldn't you like to have a little hope in your life? Don't talk to me about religion. You shut up. You Christians, you're such a pain. Hey, I just wanted to tell you that there's hope for your life. I don't need hope. Okay, I don't need forgiveness, I don't need grace, I don't need mercy, I don't, I don't need God's love. What's Paul's other request? That his service would prove acceptable to the saints. Don't you think that's an odd thing? Most people, when they take up an offering, and they give it to somebody in need, you would think that some people, or at least most people, would be grateful But you know what's interesting even about this request? Paul understands that there might be some saints in Jerusalem who would not accept the offering because their fear and their prejudice was so profound that they wouldn't accept any help from the Gentiles. Again, this is a tragic truth. Too many believers don't accept the ministry. Of God's servants. The servant can be a full-time or a part-time person. A preacher. A teacher. A a missionary. An instructor. Someone who provides some sort of ministry-minded support. Paul asks for prayer. For those who are committed to Christ. And for those who are committed to the gospel. So that there would be harmony. Even in this. And he says refreshing. To come to you with joy by the will of God. He uses the expression, read it for yourself, refreshed, together. The whole point being not just simply that I can give you something, but so that you can give me something. And we can give each other something. We can minister to one another and encourage one another and provide for one another. Paul recites the standard benediction in verse 32 when he says, Now may I come to you with joy in the will of God and may you be refreshed together. In verse 33, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We should note at least one thing about Paul's philosophy of ministry before we move on. Paul is committed to the sacred task of caring for the needs of the saints and evangelism to the world. The sacred duty is entrenched in Paul's vision... Remember, we've already seen him in chapter 12 to present your body a living sacrifice in verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 16, he sees himself as a priest offering the Gentiles as his ministry to the Lord. The minister with the heart of God will give credit to God for everything, including the privilege of being used by God to advance the gospel and to prepare people for the kingdom. And this is striking right in the middle. He's saying, please, 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 will you pray for me, he stops and he goes, I'm going to pray for you. Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Isn't that interesting? The prayer is simple and forceful. Peace. By the way, imagine you had one prayer request and only one. You could only ask for one thing I'm going, to sus- I'm going to suggest to you that the one thing that I would suggest that you ask for is the very thing that he's praying right here at this very moment. You want to know why? When he says, now may the God of peace be with you all. When the God of peace is with you, guess what? There's peace in your heart and there's peace with one another and there's peace in the circumstances, in the world in which you're living Peace doesn't come from a magic genie. It doesn't come from a democratic or a republican administration. Real peace isn't sorcery or science or political processes. Real peace comes when a person has a real relationship with a real God. So in conclusion, do you have a Spain? Spain? Do you have a place, a journey, a destination? Have you said to yourself lately, I need to go to this place for Jesus? Is there a place for you to go? A place for you to see? A place for you to serve? Are you passionate in prayer? And by the way, prayer to God will often confirm the passion to dream and the final destination. We pray to bring our will in line with God's plan. We pray as an opportunity to demonstrate our trust in God and God's future. We pray because praying is better than complaining. We pray because prayer refreshes and restores our fellowship with God and with each other. So my closing question. You have everything you need to go where you're going. The Lord says, for the Lord Jesus' sake and for the love of the Spirit, in verses 31 and 32. You see, if you have Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the truth is you have certainly what you need. Paul has revealed his heart in verses 13 through 21. He's given us our homework in verses 22 through 32. His message, I have a big plan. It's to help right now. And it's to hope that I'm going to see you and be a part of your life in the not too distant future. His credentials? Scars. It's not an advanced degree from a seminary, it's scars. Scars. Amy Carmichael in Toward Jerusalem wrote, Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright and ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent Leaned against a tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet, as the master, shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far? Who has no wound, no scar. The setbacks, the wounds, might be proof possible that you're the exact right person for the job that God is preparing for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the privileges that we have and the ministry that you provided for us? Lord, we know that we have a destination. For Paul, he has this gigantic dream. And sometimes reality gets in the way of our dreams. But I suspect that the hope to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ was never quenched inside of his heart. And perhaps our journey begins just even in our own home, with our own husband, with our own wife, with our own children, with our own family, with this community, with the people in the not not very far away from us. And then eventually everyone in the world. Lord, we pray that you'd prepare our hearts. We pray that our message would be clear and that our credentials would be visible. In Jesus name. Amen. Let's